So we had no show on Wednesday. That's why you're hearing some clips from Tuesday, but I think you'll enjoy them, namely Alex Golish. A couple players who followed him, well, one circuitously. I can never say that word, circuit in a roundabout way. And some highlights from the baseball game a couple days ago that are still, I think, going to be very enjoyable. We hope to bring you a lot of them from this weekend against UCF. But tennis first, and how about the men's squad? We've been telling you about the winning streak they've been putting on and the steady rise up the rankings. They went from 60th to 54th. That's pretty big. Again, once you get into the mid-40s, you're in at-large range. And well, when their record was 4-8, and eight, you could not have thought in those terms possibly for the Bulls. But now they are at 11-9, and nine, and we've talked about it before. Just want to stress it. A big-time homestand continues and getting to the home stretch of the homestand. But we'll tell you about Eric Gravelius first. He was named the AAC Player of the Week. It's the first time the Bulls have received an honor thusly all year long. Gravelius, the transfer from Georgia, originally from Sweden, won his two matches, actually was the only lopsided winner as, again, this was last week, the Bulls were ranked 60th, took on 58th-ranked FAU, and were down 3-1. to one. Well, he was the one that got them on the board, 6-1, 6-2. Also won his match against Wichita State. Had lost his previous three singles matches, but now is at 8-8 eight and eight on the year. He also won both of his double sets, which is always very critical. He has settled into a pairing at number two doubles with Alvin Todorica, and they have won their last four sets. Mention the upcoming home stretch for men's tennis. Four matches all against ranked teams, technically the ITA, which again sort of decides who's going to the NCAA tournament. They go as far as the quote-unquote committee goes, right down the line. The only thing that makes a team that's ranked ahead of another not get in over them is their overall record. If you're not 500, you don't get in. As far as the Bulls' final four opponents, it begins this Sunday afternoon against currently ranked 50th SMU. Then it's the next day, 43rd ranked Tulane. So an opportunity to rise in the rankings, a big opportunity. Maybe have to win all four, probably three and one gets you into the NCAA tournament. And the Bulls, of course, have already strung together five in a row as it is. The other two, even though if you head on GoUSFBulls.com and don't see a ranking next to the names UCF and Tulsa, they're not in the top 50, but they are in the top 60. They are on the latest ITA rankings. In fact, UCF is ahead of the Bulls at 51, and Tulsa is right behind them at 57. The Bulls, again, rose from 60th to 54th. So definitely give some recognition to that men's tennis team, which is doing some good stuff. On the women's side, again, they are rolling along at 10-5, and five, picked up a win against DePaul, which is an above 500 team last week, but that was their only match, and they actually went down in the rankings. DePaul, not a top 75 squad. Now, when you fall in the rankings, in this case, the women did from 60 to 64, you have to look at it two ways. One is you have to go back and look at some previous teams on your schedule, and I didn't go through all of them, and realize that they have maybe taken a hit on their win-loss record. But you also have to look at the teams that jumped you. Yeah, the Bulls, quote-unquote, fell four spots to 64, and that's not a good development. I'm not going to say it is a good development. You have to look at the teams that actually jumped them. One of them, Arkansas, went from 65 to 54 with a win against a top 30 Georgia Tech. Arkansas actually lost to a top 50 Kentucky. Now, here's the other thing. Remember I just mentioned the win-loss record? Arkansas is ranked ahead of the Bulls, but they're 9-8, and eight, so they're not guaranteed to finish above 500. 
Can't argue with SMU jumping the Bulls as the Mustangs have a shutout victory over USF and jumped from 62 to 56. Again, these are the reasons, the four teams specifically, that moved ahead of the Bulls that USF dropped. Actually, last week, SMU beat a 41st-ranked Denver and then played another ranked team, losing to TCU. But sometimes, as we know from basketball, you can lose but move up in the computer rankings. Now, the other two, uh, you got me. Fresno State went from 67th to 58th with the win granted against 42nd-ranked Colorado State, which is now, by the way, number 60. But then they lost to unranked Wyoming, which creeped in at number 73, but is still a below 500 squad. So Fresno jumps the Bulls, eh. And then Toledo, okay, they're 12-3, and three, but they beat two unranked opponents, and USF happens to have a head-to-head win against Toledo. So I know I just mentioned how the committee kind of goes right down the line on the computer rankings for deciding the field for the NCAA tournament, but I think if two teams are close enough and one has the head-to-head, that usurps that. I wouldn't be too worried about Toledo, but Bulls need to worry about themselves, and of course, they still have chances to rise up the rankings themselves. Three matches on the road this weekend, and of course, they could win that conference tournament thing. One of their upcoming matches is at UCF, which is a top 30 squad, and boy, a win there would go a long way. Keep in mind, last year, the women beat UCF in a shocker in the conference quarterfinals this year. They probably would not have to play them until the finals if things continue to line up how they are. Alex Golish said we had some good sound bites from him. First of all, everyone I know wants an update on the quarterback situation. We know that Gary Bohannon won't play in the spring game, but apparently he's getting on the field quite a bit, more than anybody else's, it turns out. No, oh, yeah, that kid who had a pretty good uh, couple starts as a freshman, Byron Brown, is doing some stuff as well. Yeah, well, Gary is doing everything minus throwing the football. So throwing tennis balls yesterday, like he's way ahead of schedule and progressing at a really high clip. No, that competition has been awesome to see. Those guys are, they are competing like crazy, but they're also like supporting each other that, like crazy. I didn't realize that room was actually as close as they are, especially when you bring in a transfer and Bryce, they've embraced each other. They've embraced the competition. That's a really cool room. You know, Byram has had through seven, through six days, has had as good of a spring as I could have ever asked for. He's grown every day. He's improved every day. He's not making the same mistake twice. He's generally taking care of the football. He's making good decisions. You know, I've been in places where it's catastrophic through six days. It is not. Is it? Is he operating at a high clip as close to you can while being on day six of an offense? Bryce is right there with him and they're learning off of each other. I see them talking all the time back and forth. And then you got Gary's taking every single rep in the back, 10 yards behind me, and go, taking the snap, taking the progression, taking the read, his footwork. Like if you ever watch him at practice, he literally gets every, he gets more reps than, than Byron Bryce, any of those guys, three times the reps that they get because he's taking them in the back, every single one with the ones, the twos, the threes. So they've been really, really good. It hasn't gotten super real yet because you're not, you haven't named a starter, you're not playing a game here for a while. So. It's easy, I'm sure, when, when you name a starter, the adversity will hit and, and the realization of it will set in. Uh, we're nowhere near that right now. They all have some positives. Bullock has some positives. I mean, Gunner has some positives. But those, those guys are, I mean, they're fun to be around right now. They don't feel a whole lot of pressure. They're just going. I think Joel, um, Joel Gordon, Jared Perry, they've done a phenomenal job with those guys. I've left him alone, which I think is probably a benefit, too. It was a joke. I got the joke right away. So you heard a lot of names there. Sounds like Bryce Archie would be the number two guy right now, of course, for the spring game. Mentioned that we were 
getting ready for the spring broadcast yesterday. I can just give you a little hint without all the details. There will be a video component. I'm sure people want to know about that. Last year, the spring game was not streamed. It will be this year. Remember, it's in a couple of Fridays at Corbett Soccer Stadium. I can tell you that on the radio side right here on USF Bulls Unlimited, it'll be yours truly, Jim Lighthall calling play-by-play, and Joey Johnston, basically the third man on the microphone play-by-play-wise, actually on the sidelines. We should have fun there. This was a fun soundbite. Jeff Jones, one of the massive support staff, and really an interesting story if you don't know about him. Here's more of what he's been able to do for Coach Golish and his players. Coach Jones was a huge part of me getting into coaching. You know, um, really somebody I looked up to early. You know, he used to pick me up, take me to workouts, a little bit of a knucklehead maybe at that point in my life. And uh, a lot of those same lessons I learned when I was in high school, I still use in terms of being able to teach young guys and paying it forward. But he's a guy that gave more of himself than he took from, from the game, took from his players, and is a guy that when I graduated, gave me my first job coaching high school ball. He's a huge reason why I coach. He's a huge reason why I wanted to be a teacher. He's been through a, a lot of this with me in terms of he was at my wedding, um, been at every stop that I've, that I've gone to. He's always came as a fan. And then a couple of days after I took the job, I called him and said, um, I said, hey, will you, will you come down here and do what you did for me for these guys here? And was on his way down. So 30 years in education in the state of Ohio and He's a couple years away from retirement. He dropped everything, and he was a principal at the time, dropped everything and came down to Tampa. So uh, really grateful to, for him being here. What he does for our kids is is monumental in terms of director of player development. I mean, he's like part principal, part teacher, part friend, part psychiatrist, part accountability buddy. I mean, and, and every situation's different, uh, but I lean on him in a really, really heavy way. He's also somebody the players lean on knowing that, hey, he doesn't control their playing time. <laughs> they can go to him with an issue, and nobody's going to look at him sideways. In 30 years, Coach has seen just about everything that can happen, and uh, he filters me in a lot of ways in terms of, man, what do I actually need to know and what do I not? He's also, for me, like, man, he, a lot of situations you come up with as a first-year head coach and, like, hey, how would you do this? And, and he won't give you his opinion unless you ask for it, but generally when I ask for it, he knows I need it. So priceless, I guess, in a lot of ways. That's pretty amazing. Again, you heard him talk about Jeff Jones as coach, even though he most recently was an administrator, a principal. But yeah, he was a pretty good coach, too. He was the 2006 Ohio Coach of the Year. And to be near retirement and to come down and join the USF football staff, that is uh, something I definitely wanted to share, along with Mike Lofton, who was with Alex Golish a couple years ago over in Orlando. And I want to follow up before we get back to Golish on the whole Jeff Jones addition to the staff. I've had a couple conversations with Coach Jones. Um, he's a great coach to be around. He's who I lean to when I don't want to talk about football, maybe when I just want to just be Mike for a second. He asked how my family's doing, just little stuff. So I've talked to Coach Jones a lot. Um, he's a good resource to go to when you don't really want to, when you just want to unwind, when you want to relax. And we wrap up with Coach Golish. Another topic that I know people want to hear about, and that is recruiting the Bay Area. I think the biggest thing for the high school coaches in this area is is they just want their kids evaluated and want honest feedback. This is the fifth time I've been part of taking over a program. I think the story is literally the same every single time. 
man, the local school didn't recruit, the local high schools, those kids all got overlooked and look at these kids that left and did something, right? Like it's a scripted deal. Generally when, whether the, the job you took over was winning or losing, that's always the story. I respect the heck out of these high school coaches because they are trying to push their kids as well, right? Like this is a state where you can open enroll at any school you want. So if coaches have young guys that are getting recruited, it certainly helps them recruit. They're, they're not doing anything drastically different than what we're doing in terms of making sure that they've got the best players to have the best team. It's been a very grassroots approach in, in recruiting, especially locally. I mean, I hit as many schools as I could when I got here. We as a staff, the six counties around where we are, we tried to hit as many schools imaginably as possible. And that was a huge emphasis. We were still trying to put a class together as well and, and recruit uh, to make sure we were able to go play. It was a huge emphasis. After that, I've invited every single coach in this area and really nationally, come on, come over, hang out, see what we're doing, spend some time with us. You wanna learn anything from us? Come on, love to learn something from you guys as well. I think the high school coaches that have come out have seen what we're doing, which is encouraging. Remember, back at Toledo and Iowa State, a lot of players from the Bay Area. Great to know that he knows the richness of the talent here. Talent that is trying to go pro was on display, including Todd Bowles showing up yesterday to watch Pro Day for the Bulls. More from Alex Golish in the next couple of weeks. Another scrimmage coming up on Saturday. We're actually supposed to talk to some of the members of the team today, including Byron Brown, but that's been moved to early next week because of this whole men's basketball situation. Wanted to throw some highlights together from the win for baseball on Tuesday night. Talk about staying hot, Daniel Cantu, and the defense turning some double plays, a wild one that we'll talk about, but one that you'll actually hear in this collection of highlights. Both teams have had the bases loaded in this game and not scored. See if Daniel Cantu has been swinging a great bat, can at least get one to the outfield, one and one. Oh, man, lines it, and that's going to get down into the right corner. One run will score, two with snow is going to be easy. They're going to... Hold Drew Brutcher at third, and Daniel Cantu comes through again. A two-run double, and it's 4-1. to one. The ball's lined and stopped at third base. What a play by Sankovic over to second for one, to first for a double play. Just to get that ball was something else. And to turn it so quickly and make it an inning ender was amazing by Travis Sankovic. Well, that was good. Oh, that's another line shot, and that is going to be right down that right field line once again. Maybe all three come home this time. Booting it around in the corner is Holland indeed. Brutcher's going to be sent. Play at the plate. He's safe. Daniel Cantu, a second five RBI game or two in his last three games. Phenomenal. And it's nine to one. If the Bulls had not gone one and three last week, I'm pretty sure that Daniel Cantu with his seven hits and seven RBI would have been on the weekly honor roll, but he's on his way. And maybe the Bulls starting to catch some breaks. You know, that game ends up 9-3. to Lawson Gailey, his first win, the freshman from Georgia, went five innings. Only gave up one run. As the Bulls led one nothing in the fourth, he gave up a couple hits. And it was second and third and nobody out and score tied at one. Bases loaded, one out. And what sure looked like a go-ahead sack fly. But not only did the runner from second take off assuming that Drew Brutcher had no chance at catching the ball, only to have Brutcher make a big-time running catch. It was going to be 2-1. to one. But the runner at third took off for home, saw it might get caught, checked back to third base, but still left early a second time. So maybe a little bit of a break that kept the Bulls tied, and then they would take the lead 
on a Marcus Bodell sack fly before blowing it open, as you just heard. Final score of 9-3 to three Bulls, now 10-16. and 16. And tomorrow, we'll preview the Warren I-4 in Orlando. We're headed there today to get you set for that action that we'll have live on USF Bulls Unlimited. And I know I might have said a time or two or four or five on the softball broadcast that after winning in a sweep against East Carolina, it's off to Houston. It's actually off to Wichita State, which is a pretty pivotal early series in conference play. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's show.